I do remember that race actually because I, it started off quite well. The terrain reminded me of the Forest of Dean a bit, so I kind of felt a bit at home. And then I got to a control and there was just like five cameramen still at the control taking photos. That just threw me off. I did not expect that at all. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Run-In, sponsored by Envy and Straight Compasses. Our interview this week, coming up very shortly, is with Cecilia Anderson, the young W21 who's had some great results in what races we've actually been able to hold this year. So yeah, we're going to be chatting to her all about those and about some of her first World Cup races, things like that as well. Um, but we have some news uh, before we get on to that. Um the new 2021 selection policy has been uh, announced and will. I've set you some homework to read it, to understand it, as you're going to be the one who's going up for selection, not me. So yep. um, what what can you report back? What can you tell me? It is going to be an... in. So I had already read it before, actually. Um, so oh, my homework okay. was just recapping it. Uh, but it's going to be sure. an intense spring for everyone with the the races earmarked and you know just the fact that there's european sprint championships in may there's world cup races in august october and there's obviously the forest and sprint walk in mm-hmm. um july. in july as well so first round of um selections will kind of occur after a series of of kind of first big round selections will occur after a series of forest and sprint races over the course of the spring um leading into uh european sprint champs and then there's also a series of forest races as well some in the uk and I believe they're going to try to see if they can get some in the czech republic as well to uh to get uh races on on the terrain that we'll be racing in for the world champs which uh will be fantastic hopefully to be able to go and do so um kind of a whole year's worth of racing crammed into a few weekends uh there's no jk obviously next year with that already being cancelled so they're going to be almost standalone races like we've had this year with um with the lakes weekend races which mm-hmm. have worked so well so i was gonna say no jk is gonna really complicate things in terms of selections right yeah i obviously it makes it a lot more difficult for um people to come back to the uk for just one single weekend and just put a performance out if you live overseas for for starters which i imagine I, I guess it's how how the selectors want to take it and how those individuals want to take it if they if they choose to come back or if the all known form from an extra year ago is going to be considered as well uh which because you're starting to get quite distant from some of the races which are leading into that all known form and and previous forms so um looking at i think it's only the Swiss and China World Cups from last year twenty nineteen mm. um that and walk as well maybe that are going to be considered so unless you raced at one of those three competitions you're really coming in clean and you've got to go to these races to uh to get yourself picked so um a lot of traveling probably for foreign athletes coming in and then the same for people from around the uk a lot of different weekends to get yourself to and um to switch your focus on as well for if you're going for everything so i'll be i'll be going for everything um because i kind of see myself as an all-rounder and I want to compete um, across the board, you know, relays, forest, uh, sprints, and, um, you know, whether it's middles, longs, knockouts. And uh, so I'm going to have to switch my focus quite repeatedly to different weekends and, and different focuses as well. So mentally going to be quite, 
quite tough as well to uh, mm-hmm. to do the right amount of geeking and all of those things. So does the planning start now? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So now there's uh, there's firm dates in the diary that we can start to look forward to. Um, or as firm as we can get at the moment. Yeah, uh, I feel like we're, we're taking all of this to be very definite. I feel like this this news about a vaccine has like buoyed us into some sort yeah, of like probably. semi-certainty. But uh, well, this is why I'm not saying the races names because I don't want don't know if they're going to be on or not. Um, yeah, like the British point. champs and things like that. We're still uh, kind of fifty-fifty. But yeah, I, I think it'll be yeah. The planning will start now for how to get onto how how to get onto relevant terrain if there's. Like this year, there was meant to be a Midlands Sprint Weekend as part of the UK Elite League. I think they're aiming for one next year. You know, what kind of terrain will that be? That's relatively local for me, so that's good. If there's more races in the lakes at the Northern Champs, you know, we've all kind of raced a lot in the lakes this, well, some more than others, but everyone's raced in the lakes this winter, so starting to get a good grasp of what that will be. Um, And then stuff up in Scotland, do you start looking at old maps from the previous Sprint Scotland races or... um, you know, some of the forest races and D-side that have been the last few years and things. So it's all quite different, varying terrains as well. It should be, well, it should be an excellent mix. Well, it's certainly going to be full on. We'll, um, yeah, just really with so, so much uh, races, training, prep, and a, such a different feel, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, from this year. But, uh, well, certainly here in England, we're still in lockdown. More Scotland areas have gone to Tier 4 recently. But now, I must say, we're recording this on a Monday and it's going to go out on a Thursday. So a lot can change, OK? But today, this Monday, the government has said that outdoor grassroots sport can resume in England when we come out of this lockdown. I mean, obviously, we don't know yet what this is going to mean for orienteering and for loads of events. I mean, it's going to rely on landowner permissions. What we're, what we're able to do theoretically based on what, compared to what we're able to do practically is quite different in a lot of, in a lot of the cases. Of course, British orienteering at time of recording haven't had a chance to respond to these new announcements. But fingers crossed for some orienteering, for some races, um, more than just some soloers and some map runs they're great but it's not quite the same thing mm. and i've yeah. been out today controlling uh you know checking some tapes for a, an army event coming up at the beginning of december so i hope my hard work for that actually goes into an actual race that would be fantastic absolutely absolutely okay let's move on then to our interview of this episode uh she's 23 she's from bristol orienteering club was oxford uni now bath uni uh making having absolutely great set of results in this autumn's competitions the ones that we were able to hold fantastic races and that's why we really 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 wanted to get cecilia anderson onto this episode i think last time the three of us spoke probably was about 13 months ago on that plane on the way back from china and i think you cecilia you and will and kirsten had had about four hours of sleep between you after a very very interesting competition I, it seems like so much longer than 13 months ago what everything that's happened since then a different world yeah can you can you have i mean you, you surely wouldn't have been able to imagine what this year was like last time we were speaking in china no definitely not what were your reactions like when races and stuff started getting cancelled um i guess right when everything was like starting with the whole like coronavirus coming to the UK and things, 
I had like quite a lot of uni work and finals at uni coming up. So I sort of had quite a lot to distract myself from what was going on and was kind of taking just like one week at a time um, doing the running that I was meant to be doing and then sort of doing my revision and I guess everything else just sort of evolved around it until suddenly I'd finished exams and we were like in the middle of a full-blown lockdown and I didn't think I'd... I'd really thought that much about it before that point where I'd been expecting to spend the whole summer orienteering in like loads of cool countries and then um <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were you so were you still at Oxford the the whole time into your exams or did you get sent home? No, so cuz Oxford is quite short terms, so I went home and then about a week later like I went home for the Easter holidays and then about a week later like lockdown started so I just never went back mm. but wow it was yeah it was kind of sad because like that was my last time at Oxford but I didn't know that it was going to be when I left mm. and there's all sorts of like final year traditions and like you know seeing off the the you know the years you've had with all your friends and everything yeah we very much had a lot of plans for like summer and after exams but they'll no, have to no. happen at a different point I guess <laughs> So orienteering wise, what were you looking to do in 2019, 2019, 2020? Um, I guess try and get selected for as many of the international races as possible, like the World Cups and maybe the World Champs. But yeah, I didn't I didn't really quite know where I was at. So I think it was just it was going to be a like run as well as I could at the selection races and then see what happened. Was there any you were like particularly like looking forward to or really having your eye on? Um, I was really excited for World Unis actually, because I went two years ago and that was like one of the best weeks ever. So yeah, I was, I was probably most disappointed when that was cancelled. That was in Russia yeah. as well, wasn't it? Yeah. So that yeah, would have been a really cool trip. Oh no, sad times. But you, so you didn't do the first lot of um, kind of UK League O-League races which were in Scotland. Presumably that was because it all clashed with a uni and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then you were at the two weekends we had in October. And I think one of, one of the reasons we wanted to get you on is because you've had some great domestic performances this year at what races we have actually been able to have. So, um, and I think, so looking... You were like so the the four no hang on five races you did, you won four of them and were third in another one. Is that right? Have I got that right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um. So why don't you why don't you talk us through like go back to the first weekend which was at Russell and Beaches and Graithwaite the middle distance and the long distance and I think I think I remember Will telling me way you've got some maps. Oh, got some way. maps. I think Will was I think Will was telling me afterwards that like people were saying it was some of the best like middle and long distance courses that they'd run in the UK. Would you agree? Oh yeah, for sure. It was a, amazing. Like. I'm not sure I've run that difficult, like, both middles and longs, probably in the UK, or maybe at all. Yeah, so that was, like, really great to be able to run some races and, like, such high-quality races when there was really nothing else on. And was that your first actual kind of competitive outing of the year? Uh, Actually not. In the summer, when the restrictions all sort of relaxed a bit 
um, I managed to do a couple of races in Italy and then also a oh, couple nice. in Denmark when I was visiting some family. Oh, cool. So you got a little bit of racing in beforehand, but relatively free from any kind of <laughs> running in the forest in anger. Yeah, yeah. Not not as much as normal. Definitely not. Oh, so are you someone who likes to do a lot of races? Because I think there's I think there's a bit of a split in orienteering. Some people who love to like mm. almost starve themselves of orienteering and do a lot of do a lot of training, but not a lot of racing. So they're really really pumped to kind of get there. And some people who feel like they kind of gain that confidence from having run lots of races in leading up to a big one. Which one are you? I think the last couple of years because. I've been studying and have been really busy in the lead up, like, especially to the, like, JK and stuff. I've not been able to do very many races, so I've I've ended up having to, like, be quite specific about which races I chose to go to. But I think I'm in an ideal world, I definitely want to do more than I have been doing in the lead up to those big races so but that's definitely the plan going forward now that I'll hopefully have a bit more time so what made those two that that middle and that long what made them so tricky and so great um I guess the middle distance was just that middle bit of the course where there was like crags and rocks and stuff everywhere and like even on a one to seven and a half map it was kind of quite difficult to read I'm pretty impressed by the fact that, right, you've been studying in the year and then you've been training, but presumably mostly around where you live in Bristol. You went and did the lakes in the um, the races in, sorry, in Italy and Denmark. But like that's it's just a completely different terrain and getting thrown in the deep end in an area like that. I mean, that is tricky. I guess mm. my approach to the middle was to kind of, be a bit cautious and take a bit more time to read the map than I maybe have been doing when I've been doing training closer to where I live where it's, it it doesn't look like that on the map <laughs> um, so I think I think that definitely helped me just taking a few more looks at the map than I maybe needed to but to make sure that I was confident I knew where I was mm. So you were third, you were, it looks like one minute and two seconds behind Sarah Jones, who won, who is from the lakes. Um, so did, was there any big mistakes or was it mostly, you know, just like keeping cautious and avoiding like big time losses? Because I think we did see some big time losses on that uh, race. Mm, huge. Yeah. Um, I think my major issue on that race was that I caught Grace and then I caught Fiona. So we were together for some of the middle part of the race and... It's probably because there's been such a lack of races. As soon as I saw them, I just forgot what I was doing and forgot how to orienteer. And, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, really didn't didn't orienteer that well, I felt, on the middle part of the course until I like got my head back together. And I think I think that's maybe just from a lack of races. But Yeah, Will did that mm. too the other weekend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't run off the map, though. So yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely empathise with that. I think that having having people around and um, being used to the pressure of the pressure of ignoring them and knowing that you should be ignoring them when you're suddenly thrown in the deep end and you kind of just want to race head to head and go all out is is a skill that took for granted before. I think. 
yeah, I felt like on some of these races, when I saw someone else, I just started doing everything differently to what I was doing before that was working before, which seems mm. really illogical. But at the time, it just, I guess you sometimes trust the other person more than yourself. Yeah, which doesn't make sense when you catch them. No. Because <laughs> you caught them for a reason. <laughs> but it always happens. Yeah. Mm, that's a good point to think. Like, yeah, I've caught them for a reason. Like, goodbye. Yeah. I'm going to go go straight past. Mm. Exactly. But in the long, long on Graithwaite, uh, winning that one nearly six minutes faster than Grace in second. Did you feel more confident on that one? Um, I think, like, over the couple of months over the summer sort of after the restrictions kind of lifted a bit and we were allowed to drive about I did quite a few like longer runs in terrain with a map so I felt like that was more sort of normal to be running for that length of time with a map and at a slightly slower pace because I guess we all knew that it was going to be a really kind of long tough race just from the the winning time compared to the length of the course so I kind of went into it thinking I don't need to run really fast I just need to sort of keep going and like finding the controls. Mm. That's really hard to do on a on an area like that maybe especially coming off the back of a middle distance where you know you've got to attack it a bit more and pretty successful how did you enjoy the really long leg? Um, On the first long leg so that was from control number one to control number two I actually went a different route choice to basically all the other girls I spoke to which did surprise me a bit but I think I sort of got to number one and was like this forest is quite horrible I'm gonna do whatever I can to get out of it and then ran quite far around on the path whereas most of the other girls went like up over the steep craggy green hill yeah, I, I can. Yeah, I'd probably done exactly the same. Going, I do not want as much of this. I want as little of this as I can get away with. Exactly. Um, do you think that yeah, plays to your I... strengths more? Um, In terms of you're a very good sprint orienteer as well. That kind of speed element. Yeah, I think, I think maybe it does. Certainly, previously I've been like better on sort of more southern style forest races so like some of the last few jks which have been in really like open forests with lots of tracks i've mm. more often done well on that kind of terrain so that's definitely something i'm working on is to try and be able to run well in like all sorts of terrain so that means being able to like bash through grot but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but then I think it does also mean playing to your strength. Like, when there's the option, you need to know which option is right for you. Yeah, mm. I think, like, the reason I... One of the reasons I chose the path on that route was that I knew the course was going to have loads of climb on it. So I didn't really want to, like, be getting extra climb in early on in the race. And the path route that I went round was, like, fairly flat. Although it was quite a bit longer. I guess that might have might have meant that I had slightly less tired legs later on than some other people had. Yeah, like where where the long leg comes in the course is really going to factor in your route choice. Yeah, not really thought too much about that before. So mm. yeah, so um, and then 
it was another trip back up to the lakes at the end of October as well. I feel like you just all the way up the up and down the M6, like in the whole of October. Yeah, my poor dad was driving both times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, this is the thing. And then there were the junior races as well, like a lot of parents driving up for junior races. And of course, you normally, it's kind of cool because your whole family go and you all compete. But when there's only like races just for a few age classes, then it's like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> um so yeah three races in two days uh how was that for you um I actually really enjoyed like the kind of slightly different style races to what we normally have it was kind of a bit of fun considering that these races don't really count for anything so yeah and I thought it worked really well just having slightly shorter races rather than like a full long distance this time yeah, I think probably everybody was glad of that by the time because it was the third race out of the three. And then if it was a full on long distance after already doing two races the day before, can you imagine? Oh, um, the moaning, the excuses, the excuses people would have been getting in like already, like before the start line. Oh, my God, I'm absolutely cooked from the two days. I can I can literally imagine it. So the first one was that, that where you were paired with somebody else and you were on the loops. Who were you paired with? Uh, I started with Laura, uh, Laura King. Uh-huh. Laura King. Did you see her? I saw her quite early on because the course is sort of like the two loops almost went like opposite directions. So I was coming down a hill at one point and I saw her going up a hill. And that kind of confused me a bit because I expected the loops to be in like different parts of the area. I hadn't really looked at the other loop whilst I was running. But <laughs> yeah, apart from that, I didn't see her at all. Were you, were you happy with that performance? So you were first female, so you were five minutes faster than Laura in the end, which is probably why you didn't see her. Uh, unlike <laughs> Will, who saw Ali Thomas like through the, that like changeover between the two loops, and then where I also saw Cecile. Yeah, I saw yeah. Ali as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I remember. And there was a, there was a great photo of you two like running, you know, one after another, <laughs> going through the terrain. That's cool. Mm. And then um, I actually ran up the finish shoot there. Yeah, I, didn't I go saw. Didn't go through the passageway to start my second loop. I went into the wrong funnel. I was looking at the map and went up the wrong chute. I wasn't the only one that one though. Rookie error. Rookie error. I know. Um, but you were about seven minutes down on on Will actually then as well. So um, beasting a lot of the guys in the process. No, well can't, yeah, just absolutely. <laughs> Don't know what. Yeah, can't really say much of that. Um, and then. Uh, the night event. Have you done much night orienteering? I was trying to remember on the way up when I last went night orienteering, and I don't know. It must have been over a year, but a year ago. Um, I I had quite a struggle finding my head torch, so that's that says a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a telltale sign. <laughs> but I mean, how how was that? Talk us through that race then. Um, I wasn't particularly happy with that race. I kind of started off with an approach of I've not done night orienteering in quite a while so I should slow down a little bit from what I was running in the daytime to try and find the controls and I was still like throwing minutes away here and there. I I feel like towards the end of the course I started feeling like I was actually racing and not just jogging around um and and that's actually when I started navigating better when I was running slightly faster I think maybe because that's the speed I'm more used to running through terrain in Mm. I think sometimes it can feel 
if you if you drop the pace too much, you know, it just feels kind of like slightly sloppy and you feel like it's a training run or something and you're not quite in the zone enough. Mm. Yeah, and then I, I find sometimes if I'm running slower, I start looking at the map more because I, I find like I just have extra time and I don't know what to do with it. And, and that's not necessarily what you're meant to be doing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you could be using that energy somewhere else. Um, so, yeah, again, first female and so two minutes faster than Laura Robertson, who was second there and 19th overall. And then we had that long distance last, which was, yeah, not quite a full long distance length, but I think it was just under an hour, something like that, and you, which you won again. And Laura King in second, who was just over three minutes um, down. So, yeah, how was that one? Back in the daytime, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, it was almost the same sort of thing, I think, as the night event, that mm-hmm. I, I guess I kind of went into it with more of a mentality of this is a long race, not a one hour race uh so maybe started out a bit too conservatively i kind of had the same feeling on like maybe the last third of the course where i was like oh now i'm now i'm really racing this um and picked the pace up a bit so i guess it's because we very rarely have these sort of hour long races that pacing it is a bit difficult i can kind of see that but i guess it's much better than the other way around and going off too fast and then you know thinking it's a middle distance you know 30 35 40 minute race and then absolutely crashing at the end oh yeah it feels great at the end when you're like oh i feel like i'm flying but (laughs) (laughs) well the thing is you still you still manage to you know you manage to trounce all the others although you know you've evidently got very very high standards for yourself i you know do you feel like you've got i do you feel like you're quite a perfectionist um i guess so but i guess all orienteers probably are like we all come back from a race picking up like what we've done wrong rather than the 20 other controls that we did well so yeah yeah that's 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 pretty much orienteering in a nutshell it makes it really difficult to like coach and i'm like okay so what went well (laughs) (laughs) like what go on right go on then cecilia what went well of you know all of of those races particularly that warrior weekend in the end of october what can you come back saying like that was great I'm going to get in full coaching mode, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess consistency, which is maybe something I've not had so much before, that I felt like I, was, I wasn't running like perfect races, but I was kind of minimising the time losses. Yeah, I think that's, that's a valid response. And it actually kind of leads mm-hmm. into my next question quite well, which is, um, you know, with all the World Cups and stuff going off, you do seem to have found some consistency. Were you hoping this would have paid off this year in international races? Because I think that's probably like the next step that you're probably looking to find is some more consistency internationally. Yeah, um, I've not really run that many international races as a senior yet. Sort of the end of last year, I did two World Cup races and that was sort of the start of my senior international career I guess um so I was definitely hoping to improve on those hopefully get selected for some world cup races and and get some positions that were like maybe within the top 40 like where you're getting world cup points kind of thing Mm. so has this weird year come at a super annoying time or is it is it come at an okay time thinking about like how you'd want to progress in the next few years 
I guess at any point it's always going to feel annoying, but it's not the worst time for me now. I'm not like at the peak of my career and this is one of the really important years where I want to do some amazing performances. I, I feel like I'm still improving and hopefully will be for the next couple of years. Yeah. That's that's what I was I was wondering if you kind of say that like it's it would be great to kind of keep up the momentum but ultimately like where you're gonna your best orienteering is gonna come is not for another few years yet. Yeah, well, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) I hope this Um, is not my peak. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm sure. Well, a lot of the the themes that when we were chatting to Hanny Elston a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, she was saying. Uh, had a big emphasis on like patience and um yeah making sure that you know you've got to put the work in uh, but the results won't kind of come maybe for another few years is that how you are approaching the sport um I guess so like I'm definitely been aware of the last few years that I'm the first few years of being a senior and no one really expects you to go and run internationally necessarily for those couple of years so I've I've kind of been trying just to improve year on year and set sort of goals maybe on the JK sort of British champs kind of level um and just yeah like trying to enjoy training I I really enjoy going running and going out and running with a map so it it doesn't bother me that much that if there's not like always a race or like an international race to run I just I enjoy just doing the training yeah enjoying the process enjoying just being out there and just yeah being in the forest and everything so what training have you been doing this year particularly technical training or or just like what kind of sessions have you done and and how would they be different to a, a regular year um I mean, in terms of during lockdown and stuff, I don't think my training was particularly different to what I would have done in a regular year. After that, I've been trying to do more technical training in my sort of regular, like, weekly schedule, which I've I've not been able to do so much in the last couple of years during studying. It's Oxford's not, like, the centre of the orienteering scene. And if you don't have a car and you've got... A lot of work to do it's kind of difficult to get out to like great areas like consistently so that's something that's hopefully changing in my training now that I have a bit more time and access to a car and I'm close to some like great areas like the Forest of Dean and stuff. Mm. What kind of form does your technical training then take so stuff that you do with a map what kind of exercises or distances and things are you doing? Um, I've been trying to do sort of everything. I still want to focus on like all three of the disciplines. So like sprintables for sprint training. Um, and then in the forest, I've been trying to do some like faster, shorter sort of interval style stuff. And then also some really like longer, just time in terrain with a map, which I think was quite useful for that long distance in the Lake District. Mm. Mm. I think, well, we were uh, harking back to another interview that we were doing. Oh, yeah, it was with Casper Fosser, and he, he was talking about how he doesn't do much 
um, training in terrain or, or with a map or anything like that compared to a lot of the people that he sees in the, in the local clubs and stuff who are doing, I don't know, probably like maybe four sessions a week in terrain or almost everything in terrain, which is like, wow. So, yeah. but, <laughs> uh, and I'm like, that, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? To be able to, I don't know, would it be amazing to be able to do that much training in terrain? I guess there's not necessarily enough areas around here for me to run in terrain every single day and be able to consistently do that for the next however many years um so you know all the areas too well i mean seriously all the areas around me like there's just barely any point orienteering in them don't even need a map oh oh, the controls are there oh yeah i know how to get there has your training changed with kind of not having any races have you been training differently in that respect I guess the the major change is sort of in the last couple of weeks in the lead up to a race. You're sort of trying to fine tune everything and then you're tapering for a race. So that's obviously not been happening without having any races. It's been more the sort of mm-hmm. general winter kind of training. Just getting like lots of miles in and some general orienteering and then not having that sort of winding down ready for a race yeah yeah makes sense well uh, you mentioned already some of your um the world cup races that you've done so you did two so you were in switzerland and china last year the ones you've done and you did the world unis in finland 2018 yeah as like a newcomer to the team what was it like in switzerland what can you remember of that experience that your first world cup races or maybe even the first world cup race like standing on the start line for that middle distance I thought it was quite overwhelming. Um, I've done one jaywalk and this just seemed a totally different scale. I think that maybe got to me a bit in some of the first couple of races. It's quite special being in quarantine and just seeing like all the the top names who you've like watched on GPS traces and stuff and they're just like walking past you and warming up and... I think that definitely took a bit of getting used to for me, at least. Yeah, it's very intimidating, I can imagine. Who who, who are the names that you were particularly like starstruck by or intimidated by? Just, just everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're like ostentatiously warming up or something like that. Uh, so what was it like standing on that start line ready for your first one? Are you someone who gets a bit nervous or are you kind of are you cool with it? Um, I... Yeah, I do get a bit nervous, but I think by the time I got to the start line, I kind of managed to remind myself that like this, this is just a normal race. You you just do the normal thing. I, I do remember that race, actually, because I, it started off quite well. I was doing my my normal race thing. It was kind of the terrain reminded me of the Forest of Dean a bit, so I kind of felt a bit at home. And then like a third of the way through a race maybe I got to a control and there was just like five cameramen stood at the control taking photos and that just threw me off I did not expect that at all <laughs> you mean nobody had warned you about the like because there's, the, there's the tv cameras so for people who don't know like there's, there's the tv cameras or normally it's like a few controls and there's like maybe like three or four cameras between the two controls and then there's also separate controls for photographers and there's like they get escorted into the forest for a particular to for a particular control to get you at a particular point yeah it's a lot then you've also yeah. got the running cameramen 
who just oh, yeah. suddenly pop up behind you and then are well not in your face because they're behind you obviously <laughs> <laughs> but they are very close and they do not care if they uh they get on your back so that right. is another thing as well which when you're ha- making a mistake is not good <laughs> Cecilia you look very not happy with this this suggestion this idea <laughs> yeah um I had Duncan running behind me for about 30 seconds during one of the lakes races and that threw me off a bit so imagining someone with like a massive camera is sort of I guess something yeah. else to get used to oh there you go Duncan Burtwistle putting uh, our elite races in there giving you training for world cup situations yeah, maybe that's what he was trying to do. <laughs> probably not. He's probably going for Instagram shots. <laughs> well, have you heard that um, Thierry Georgiou with the Swedish team, he like runs behind them with a big speaker with Per Forsberg, who's like the main arena commentator for the international arena events, with his commentary blaring out. And he's like heckling them and all yeah. these, like playing songs. And he's like literally following you through the forest. That's the level of track. That's what they do for training. So we ha- we have that in um in Liedinge as well on our training camp. Yeah, Johan Rudersen behind us with his speaker, and he's got a music set playlist. Yeah, I don't know if he's done it because Cecilia and I are in the in the same club. I don't know if he's doing, done it to you, Cecilia, where he's heckled you from behind on one of the mass start trainings, giving you abuse. That oh, gets, one, it, it pumps you up quite a lot, and two, it's also very intimidating. You get very scared. It's like, this is the moment. You've got to take it. Like, well, I don't know where the control is. But, uh, <laughs> it's good. So we need more of that maybe in the uh, UK elite races. In the races? No, just in training. Ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, a bit uh, of everything. Um, so that was, the, that was the middle distance race. Then it was the knockout sprint as well. Had you ever done one of those before? Um, I'd done one in Euro meeting in Denmark. I think, was that a year, oh, yeah. a year or two before that? Yeah, but that was the first time. And what was your kind of plan going into that? Was it just blitz the qualifier and see if you make it through, or had you planned each stage out of okay? If I get the quarters, I'm here. If I get to the semis, yeah, this will be what I do. Um, I I think for me it would have been a pretty good day if I'd made it to the quarterfinals. So I don't think I'd really thought any further than that. Uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't make it to the quarterfinals. So oh right, okay. <laughs> But then, so then what was, what was your main takeaway from that for how to approach the qualifying for next time? Was there anything that you'd do differently in terms of, in terms of your approach or how you'd race it? Um, I think it was, again, the sort of everything being big and new and intimidating. Um, I made, like, a stupid mistake that I'd normally never make and ran from control six to control 10 or something like that i think that was the sort of atmosphere getting to me not like that's just a a stupid mistake it's not even a navigational mistake really Mm. just a brain slip kind of thing yeah yeah exactly yeah i think we've all been there on those ones yeah (laughs) all made those errors And then did that make you change any of your approach to the middle of the, the, the kind of individual sprint the next day? Or, or were you quite a lot more comfortable with that? Yeah, that felt like something more normal until I hit artificial barriers, which is not a thing in, <laughs> not a thing in Britain and not a thing I've ever had before. <laughs> so, yeah, that whole weekend was a 
a big learning experience, I think. Yeah, I could I can imagine. Then I'm like, the next one is China, and that's a whole new experience again. Like you can't it's so difficult to like yeah. bring things into, you know, things you've learned from Switzerland into China where everything is so new for everybody. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was just so different. Yeah. But I think like the major thing that threw me off in Switzerland was the the like whole massive setup with like commentary and all the sort of like almost over the top organization that you don't get in just big British events. Um so like in that sense, China was the same sort of thing. Um although all the maps were like in insane. But yeah. <laughs> that that was like the same for everyone almost. Mm. Well, the the Swiss the Swiss like to go big on their organisation. They also like to have quite small arenas, and they fill it with really loud Swiss fans. So they're all it's just so loud, and like everything yeah. is branded because they've got sponsors for everything, and they have like they had like proper tiered seating in the the like finish area for the knockout sprint and the individual sprint. Not all cu- World Cups are quite like that, although they're trying to get them all now to the same level. But yeah, it's just... And there's so many cameras and there's proper photographers and people are wearing yeah. like bibs and stuff. Oh, yeah. I just remember like everywhere you walked, there'd be like people dressed up in bright yellow clothing trying to promote these sort of Swiss sweets. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I think they were like made in the town in Laufen, the town that everything was based in, that like they were particular suites for that particular town. But yeah, uh, they were like recognised in the whole of, you know, quite popular in the whole of Switzerland. And they were give- yeah, that was, that just that doesn't does happen that. in this country. No, very much not. <laughs> and I, I think it just gives you like a, and there were like posters and stuff up at bus stations of Eleanor Roos, who, you know, one of the great Swiss runners just on all the posters. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, that was a lot. Um, so how was your experience in China then? Um, well, it was like just a really cool trip. I think it was so like different. All the maps were different and I've never been to China or like that part of the world before. So that whole experience was insane as well. But I think like orienteering wise, I definitely hope to improve on Switzerland. Well, did did you feel like you were able to do that? Yeah, well, the first race was a middle distance and that was essentially a jungle. <laughs> and I was out for quite a long time. <laughs> I just remember getting back to the arena and Kirsten and Charlotte sitting there being like, oh, you made it back. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just run that one because they, they were only doing this prints. They were like, I think they one were. of them, either Kirsten or Charlotte, had been entered for the middle distance. For some, they didn't know how they yeah. had been entered for it. They didn't want to be entered for it. They hadn't gone up for that selection. Then we're like, I, I'm not doing the middle distance. <laughs> it was, it was, in, it was such a jungle. I was out for so long pre-running it. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and that like, there was just these weird sort of bushes that like had little needle things that got stuck in your orienteering socks, which. I, I mean, I've never seen that sort of plant before, but my mum literally spent months after I'd spent, like, <laughs> hours trying to get these thorns out of my socks. <laughs> I, God, I remember that. That was, yeah. that was, It was just a weird race, and it was a yeah. bit of a weird map, and it was a weird course, and nothing kind of really made sense. 
I think that sums it up pretty well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Will you'd agree, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The running through the banana groves was quite a unique experience as well, um, which I don't think I'll forget. And uh, finding a lady with like a little fire, like cooking something in the middle of the forest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There, yeah, there was like these villages, weren't they? Yeah, gosh, that was that was yeah. really odd. But then, then the sprint relay in the sprint. So I think the team were thirteenth of all the t- of all the teams. Maybe eighth. I can't remember which nation you were. And then you were thirty first in the sprint. Do you feel like? I mean, the middle. I think it was so odd. You can't hope to put any kind of progression on from Switzerland because, it, like, genuinely, I just think that's a race was a bit of a write off. It was so difficult. But did but I feel like maybe the sprint relay and the sprint you could like put in some things that you'd learnt from Switzerland. Yeah, I was I was quite happy with both of those races. Um I was quite nervous for the sprint relay because I was with some of the pretty good G B guys and then Charlotte and I kind of felt like maybe the weakest person on the team and felt like I needed to like prove something maybe so yeah I was quite nervous going into that race but it was actually of like off the whole trip it was like the most normal kind of terrain uh, it was <laughs> it felt it felt like normal sprint training or like racing for most of it if you if you ignored like what the buildings looked like then yeah. the, the shapes <laughs> of the buildings on the maps and stuff was not too weird it was like a cross between a film set and a theme park, wasn't it? There was like different areas mm. that were like diff- themed for different bits, but they do filming there. It was very, it was very yeah. odd. Yeah, we had quarantine in some sort of hotel room thing. Oh. It was, yeah, a fake, a fake <laughs> hotel room with oh, phones really? that didn't work and but then did have working showers. It was, yeah, it was odd. But it was almost like a prison as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was strange. So were you first or last leg, Cecilia? I was last leg. There was a lot of chaos towards the front of the group on that leg, um, towards some of the leading teams. There was a lot of chaos. What about it from your perspective? Um, everyone was sort of a bit spread out, like when I started. I started near a couple of people, but like some of them just ran off immediately. And I was like, if I keep up with you, then I'm not going to make it back. So... I just, I just let them go and then kind of did my own thing and it felt not that stressful. Good. I think I think good. Would you would you definitely rather take fourth leg over first leg? Um I think I'd normally run first leg. I normally end up being put on first leg on relays. But I just got put on fourth leg, so fine. fine. Take that. I just, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do do what, do what I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then that sprint was just something else as well with those tiny tiny alleyways and all sorts of drama that went on in that race i definitely remember pre-running it and having to turn completely 90 degrees to like edge my shoulders through a gap that then they in the next edition of the map i saw that had become out of bounds like it was that tiny it was ridiculous (laughs) Uh, but, but but fun oh yeah definitely it was so bizarre like trying to count off these tiny little alleyways and stuff but yeah definitely possibly the coolest sprint map I've ever run on mm. was it would you have assessed it as a good performance overall on that one yeah I was I was 
really quite happy with that race, how it went. Um, it wasn't like a perfect race, but I'd never expected it to be considering how the map was. Well, I think a lot of people made absolutely like, yeah, so many errors on that one, like, and a lot of time lost. So yeah, it was, to, to, to minimise your, your mistakes was basically, I think, a, a good tactic that day. Absolutely. So yeah. And I think, I think you were telling me afterwards that your um, uni and college were really helpful in kind of allowing you to do that trip and, you know, giving you great support to fit everything in while studying. Yeah, um, I had a few times some, like, financial support from Oxford um, and from my college at Oxford for various trips and, and stuff. I also, like, the uni have this sort of athlete support scheme thing where if you're selected for it you get like S&C sessions and I had some nutrition and like sports psychology sessions as well so mm-hmm. yeah that was really quite helpful to have that was for the last two years I was at Oxford. Oh that's really cool what kind of stuff mm. did you do in the sports psychology bit what were you focusing on I imagine this must be really I imagine as a sports psychologist to, I don't know, maybe you're dealing with lots of athletes or footballers or rugby players, whatever, and then to have an orienteer, like it's quite a distinctive um, sport in terms of sports psychology, I'd imagine. Yeah. um, The guy who was doing these sessions seemed quite intrigued by the whole sport of orienteering because it sort of, (laughs) like it combines this like physical side with then trying to like be mentally sharp at the same time so I think he kind of quite enjoyed the challenge of (laughs) trying to understand it (laughs) (laughs) what kind of things was he recommending that you that you work on or that anyone would work on in in orienteering um I guess part of it was this sort of thing of if you're running a race and you start like making a mistake or something starts going wrong in some sense sort of how to deal with that was something that we spoke about quite a bit so the approach that we spoke about was kind of to try and like take deep breaths and remain calm because if you're if you start like getting stressed in that sort of situation you're only going to make everything worse so kind of actively like trying to breathe deeply and like looking at the map and having like a mini routine of what to do when you start getting into that like stressful situation um Mm. was something quite useful and then we also spoke a bit about like approaching races for example before I went to China I had a session with him which was quite useful because I was quite nervous about this sprint relay race having to run in a team of like really great sprinters and then feeling like I was going to let everyone down so we sort of had a session where it wasn't that he was really telling me anything I didn't already know he was just sort of reminding me of like things that I already knew such as um that like everyone else on the team was only expecting me to like run like a good race for me and that the way to do that was to do all the things I normally do like run at the speed I normally run at, read the map and find the controls how I normally do. Like, there's no point in trying to do anything different. Um, And things like that, which 
I guess you don't necessarily have to be a sports psychologist to say it, but sometimes it's it's helpful to have someone say it that's not yourself. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And this is why, you know, it's good. Yeah, it's good to have people around you who you can chat to and they can say, actually, you know, slow down, hang on. This, you, the, all the things that you know that's going through your head, let's just bring them out. Let's bring them to the fore. It's all going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> And is that is that something that are like continuing to work on things like that as you progress, you know, uh, throughout your training? Well, I because I'm not at Oxford anymore. I don't have these sessions anymore. But I think I've learned quite a lot from them that I can like definitely take forward and sort of think about myself in the lead up to races and also to do with nutrition and stuff. Yeah, I think particularly the guy I had for the sports psychology, he was very good at, um, well, he was like very aware of the fact that we're students, we're not going to have these sessions forever and trying to sort of teach us something that we could like carry on with ourselves or like an approach that you could, you don't need a sports psychologist to sit opposite you to do. Oh, that is so good because maybe, you know, maybe some of the students he was dealing with might, you know, do professional sport or whatever and might have access to this. But yeah, a whole load of like niche sports like ourselves, we yeah. don't have the like either the structures in place in the governing body or, you know, the, the funds to be able to do that kind of a thing. So that's quite, you know, he's putting himself himself out of a job there by doing that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great for me, but maybe not for his. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, so yeah, looking on to next year then, I mean, I mean, who really knows what's going to happen? Do you have anything in mind or stuff you'd like to achieve next year? Um, I guess it depends what the world looks like come spring, but like in an ideal world, try and get selected for World Cup races, try and improve on my performances from China and Switzerland. Um, hopefully run the world champs at some point, um, but if everything carries on like it is now, then I think I'm just going to try and run any like races that get put on. Stuff like these lakes races. I definitely really like to do races like that in future if there's nothing else available either. <laughs> like that was, I guess that maybe came across not in the way I meant it to be. Um, <laughs> no, I like. They they were great races to do, and I bet you were super glad that they were put on. Like, yes, please, I, I'll yeah, take racing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, they were a fantastic set of races, and maybe better than what races we would have had otherwise. Because people were really trying to put on races that would be great for elites and not necessarily for everyone. Um, but. Yeah, I I, I learned a lot well. from those races, and which mm-hmm. is going to be like helpful for my training in future. So, I'm yeah definitely very grateful for the people who put those on. Yeah, I think just the pushing of the format as well, like looked absolutely great. And then, so I guess you're kind of heading into winter training, putting in some miles in at the moment, or about to. Yeah, pretty pretty much lots of miles <laughs> in mud. <laughs> Way, but. Yeah, well, I think it's, um, yeah, it's the time of year, get out there. Are you able to get out and do some training in when it's light at the moment? Yeah, this is a great thing about still being a student is that I can run at pretty much any point of the day. So, 
Uh, yeah, I was going to say, no complaints from any students the fact that lockdowns caused them to train in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> so we wish Cecilia all the best with all of her winter training and that hopefully, you know, she can hit the ground running when international races come back again. Um, and that's pretty much it for this episode. Just before we go, a word from our sponsors uh envy and straight and will you've been trying out the uh envy terra tts yes so now that winter training is fully in swing um i'm really starting to see the uh, the benefits of these for their slightly increased cushioning on on the normal off-road shoe that you get so the kind of it's almost like an adidas ultra boost foam gives you a nice amount of cushioning for when you're trying to get in those longer miles but still get a good bit of grip off-road as well because i think quite often uh, off-road shoes can have a really thin amount of cushioning and you, you just feel a bit battered afterwards. So great for when you're getting those long distance miles, but uh, need to help cushion your calves a bit as well. Yeah, especially when some of that um, long distance, maybe so many different terrains, some of that more harder high impact stuff and then the, mm. the, 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 tr- the tricky mud and the slippery uh, wet ground as well. Well, if you're interested in ordering some Envy shoes, you can email Mary Fleming, who's one of the distributors in the UK. Her email is nvstraight at dot uk sales at gmail.com. nvistraight.uk sales at gmail.com. And that's pretty much it for this episode. So Cecilia is going to be back again with our sprint episode in a week's time. And then, of course, in two weeks, we'll be back again with another regular episode. So we will see you then. 